Do you want your middle school girl to grow into a strong, confident, and resilient young adult? So do I. The only thing is, middle school's hard for both kids and parents. Welcome to the Raising Middle School Girls podcast. I'm Janice Scholl, and I'm just a regular parent on a mission to uncover the best tips and advice for raising middle school girls. Hi, everyone. Thank you for being here today. We're going to have a great conversation. I'm talking with Allie Payne, who is seriously one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. You should probably just pause this right now and go follow her so you don't forget. She understands the parent-teen relationship at a different level. She's a certified life coach and relationship systems coach who empowers parents to build healthy, respectful relationships with their teens without giving up or giving in. Welcome, Allie. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, man, that intro is so heartwarming. I'm over here having a reaction. Thank you. It's true because I watch your videos on Instagram and and it's like, man, in 30 seconds, you just know exactly where we're at in life. And I appreciate that. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. We're talking about healthy relationships with teens and parents. And I want to know, I think we all have an idea, but what does a healthy relationship with a teen look like? And the reason I'm asking is because I think a lot of times we get hung up on what a healthy relationship with our younger child looks like, and we try to carry that into the teen years. So what does healthy look like in the teen years? Right. Well, I guess first I need to say that our relationship with our young child was also set up to fail. Not because you're, you're not intelligent. It's because we have been raised in an environment that is steeped in parenting strategies that were disproven in 1960. But put that date together in your lineage for a second. It might be your grandparents. It could be your parents. And so it's still very much in the education system. It's in our families. And so the parent-child relationship that we had is often based on control and performance. So be compliant, be friendly, do what you're asked, which works often with a child's brain because that that's how their their brain works. And so we get I don't know a decade of like feeling pretty good about how I'm rolling with this like I'm not saying it's perfect. Of course it's messy, it's hard. You know, but you get like to 10 and they like they can get dressed, they can put food in their mouth, they know how to use a toilet. They like the you know the basic relationships. So we get lulled into this sense of feeling like I I got this. I can actually pick up a cup of tea. I can actually sit for five minutes. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And you're patting yourself on the back, which you should. And then the teen brain hits and they get like hijacked by hormones. And the teen brain is wildly different. It is the second and final and massive brain renovation in our human lifetime. The first is as a toddler. Second is as a teen. And yes, they are very similar. Um, And so a healthy relationship with a teen is not what you had with them as a child. And that alone, just sit with that for a second, is like, excuse me, what? Because you do a bit of like a Scooby-Doo like thing with your head because nobody told you, where is the meeting in grade five for parents that would take 20 minutes for them to get this basic information? 
where is um, the thing it, for for kids? We're, we're like delivering sex ed, like which is important. We're telling them what happens from the neck down, but nobody's telling them about this brain renovation from the neck up. Like yeah. we are setting ourselves up to fail every which way a Sunday here. So a healthy relationship with a teen. I know this is a long answer, but I, I think if we don't give the context, so many parents out there feel like they're trying everything and they're failing. And I don't ever want that. It breaks my heart when I hear that. And I, you know, it, I don't think being a teen needs to be that hard either. Um, so a healthy relationship with a teen is understanding that you are going from the controller, the consultant, you know, well, the controller of, of their life, like you really are, you're in charge of kind of everything, like what they eat, maybe even what they wear, like every play dates, the whole dang thing. You are now becoming a consultant. And just to be real clear, consultant doesn't consult unless they're asked to consult. The teen brain requires massive levels of autonomy. They will push a course against structure because they want adult level freedoms with child level responsibilities. That doesn't make them broken or bad. It makes them normal as a teen. So it's about you allowing them to bloom, allowing them to try and fail because failure is a necessary part of learning without attaching that to your self-esteem so that they can find who they are meant to be not fulfill their potential in quotes and be who you need them to be or want them to be to feel good about yourself. And that is what is so dang hard about that transition. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack from this because I think there's a lot of us parents who who are trying to do all the things. We're listening yes. to the parent advice and we're like, okay, control is not the right thing to do at this age. Right. Sometimes I think we just miss the timing. I yeah. think we view our kids as younger than they really are. Yes. Yeah. And it so we like intend to be more of a mentor and coach or guide or consultant, but we aren't doing it at the right time. Are there any cues that are teenagers or teens? Because, you know, like one child could be ready at 10, perhaps, to start right. loosening that structure. Yeah. And one child might not be ready until 14. So are, is there any, are there any signs that our teens could be giving that say, hey, mom and dad, it's time to back off a little bit and let them start to grow on their own? I think that's a great question because, again, as no one tells us, one of the biggest markers of the hormone hijack starting is back talk. This friendly, compliant child who, relatively speaking, did what you asked, you know, of course they forget and they don't do it the way you want it and they're learning, but they start to just give you the, no, I don't want to. Why don't you do it? You've always done it. They also become more emotionally escalated, which looks like super baffling blowups when you say nothing but good morning and you get, you hate me, you're so terrible. And all these <laughs> things, you're like, what now? Well, like, real, literally, literally, are you in an alternate universe? Like, what happened right there? So, those are some of the things that you can notice is in <clears throat> the teen brain, excuse me, I'm just getting over a cold. The teen brain is highly emotionally reactive because of the changes going on in it 
So you're going to get a lot of, of reactivity, escalation that seems to come out of nowhere. It's going to be spicy. And that doesn't mean you're bad or you raised a broken child, a bad apple. It means they are going from, I want you to get this, they're going from 16 basic emotions to 88. So I'm going to do a little math for you here. That's four and a half times. Their brain is developing the capacity for four and a half times the level of emotion and is completely hijacked by all of this new experience, but they don't have the capability to effectively express that. And that doesn't come, by the way, from shutting them down. That comes from hearing them and then like mentoring and guiding the expression, the healthy expression, not suppression healthy expression of those emotions. So that's a marker. Um, there's going to, again, be pushback. They want more autonomy. They're going to all of a sudden just not want to do what they did. Sometimes, uh, ooh, big, big, big one. So many parents tell me this. It's like a light switch went off overnight. It's like they changed overnight. Those are their words. They spend all their time in their room and they don't want anything to do with family. They just want to be on their phone or with their friends. You didn't do anything wrong. I understand there's a sense of rejection that goes with that. This isn't about you, please. It's not about you. This is necessary. So what they're doing, if you've ever watched Discovery Channel, is it's like the little cubs. They already know how to eat and now they're growing and it is their job to go and learn how to hunt with the big scary animals so that when they leave the den, they know how to live and survive in the wild. And this is what our teens are doing by the age of 12 is they are required to start building their own independent social networkers, networks, social hierarchies, understanding re different relationship dynamics, and they are doing it out in the wild on their own. And that is natural and normal as part of their brain development to be ready to leave the home whenever that is. The emotion thing. Yes. Like just the fact that they're expanding those emotions. Yes. It comes to what you said earlier about this is similar to the brain development in the toddler years. We're now back essentially at the stage in some ways of toddler years where we have to name the emotion, right? Yes. First, yes. we have to help them understand the fact that they're having an emotion yes. they have not had in the past. Right. And you you mentioned that we have to then help them figure out what the healthy expression is. Right. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I think I'm better at expressing certain emotions than I am at others. So, I mean, I think this for me is tough. And, and I'm going to give you an example. There are some experiences that my child has and I see the emotion and I feel the emotion and I want to take it away. I don't yes. want and it's And it's in good, it's in good faith. It's in good conscience. Like I want to help my yes. child. Children avoid that feeling. Sure, sure. Thanks for telling me not to do that. <laughs> yeah, because that model of parenting I mentioned before, behavioralist that was um, disproven in 1960, essentially it said um, ignore emotion. Emotion is dangerous. You only parent and acknowledge behavior. So what has happened is we have generations of people who are really uncomfortable with the entire human range of emotion, which is normal. And so what we've done not out of any ill intent is we have generations of people who know how to be half a human. So I use the feeling wheel by Dr. Gloria Wilcox. Um, you can Google it, the feeling wheel. 
Uh, I have it on my website under resources. It's a free download. And it is, I think it has 76 emotions on it. Dr. Brené Brown's uh, research shows 88, but whatever, we'll go with 76. If you look at half of that wheel, the feelings that are pleasurable, I never, ever, ever, ever label feelings as good or bad, right or wrong, positive or negative. Why? Because they're all human. That is why there are pleasurable feelings and there are challenging feelings. Most of us were raised only allowed to articulate or experience the pleasurable ones, the sparkly, shiny, friendly ones. And we were taught to deny, abandon, or suppress the challenging emotions because they made people around us uncomfortable, aka your parents. And then you were told that those really challenging emotions also were responsible for your parents' behavior, like when they got angry or hit you or grounded you. And so you learned that that side of humanity was dangerous. So when you have a child who is experiencing humanity, it is natural and normal for you to feel wildly uncomfortable, to not know what to do. Your brain is being triggered into a state of fight or flight. You want to fix them, which we have raised as some kind of nobility as a parent, like because if you fix your child's uncomfortable feelings, somehow you're a better parent. Bullshit. Excuse me. That's yeah. <laughs> um, that actually is disabling their emotional development and executive function. It is not good. We have an entire generation of people who have the highest mental health crisis rates in the world at any other time of the world because they don't know how to be with, name, articulate, process, release, and heal, which can happen in five seconds. It can happen in a year. The challenging side of humanity, the emotions. And so that's normal, your reaction. And that is okay. What is going on for you is about you and your discomfort with that feelings that you were probably raised to deny, abandon, or suppress quickly, because otherwise really bad things happened. I want to go back to something else you said too, that I think is really important because I think what we're hearing is we should let our kids feel their emotions. We should feel our emotions. Um, but some people think that that turns into passive parenting. Yes. Yeah. And you you mentioned that teens basically want adult. I, I can't freedom. remember what adult. Yes, freedoms adult freedoms and, and child level. No, child level responsibilities. Yes. 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 <laughs> that's exactly right. And yes. and I was like, oh, I'm grabbing onto that one because it's true. And then how how do we, you know, not become passive parents? and get them beyond adult freedoms and child responsibilities. Right. So acknowledging feelings I get as a parent myself who was raised in an environment where um, I was required to be half human or there was a lot of very scary in my home, very scary things that happened. And so I understand the discomfort with that. So I want to be really, really clear that the science behind empathy So empathy is simply witnessing someone else's feelings as they are experiencing them. Empathy does not require agreement. Empathy does not require you to abandon your feelings and values. It is saying you are having those feelings. I hear that. Those are real for you. Empathy is in the family with compassion. Okay. Compassion is the kind of the expansiveness of heart, of I see your feelings, I see what's true for you. 
and I can acknowledge that. Okay. What we were raised with was because we weren't allowed these challenging feelings. What we think, which is a lie, is that allowing feelings is coddling and pandering. And now you're raising a snowflake. Unfortunately, the reason that that doesn't work is because we can also prove that all behavior stems from emotion. 100% of behavior stems from emotion. So if you're going to shut down emotion, how exactly are you going to connect with your child such that they can actually change behavior long term? Like it, it, math, math, it doesn't work. It, it literally doesn't work. So allowing emotional expression, it's messy. And this is why we don't like it. See, when we just do behavioralism, it's very linear. It's easy. It's tit for tat. I do this. Oh, you do that. Oh, I'll do this. It's very transactional, which is not a healthy relationship. What you teach your kids is they can get something using bribery, manipulation, begging, threats, ultimatums. And if you think that you're not doing it, just wait till they turn that back on you when they're a teen, because they will. Whereas connecting, allowing your teen to express the emotions, which is going to be spicy in the beginning because they don't have the words for it. And yes, they are having a full body experience. You're like, oh my gosh, calm down. Now, this is often where I know that you said that we treat teens as younger than they are. This is where parents get caught up and expect teenagers to act and behave as an adult, which is wildly unfair because most adults don't have this level of emotional expression, nor the executive function to control impulses or uh, emotional regulation. Okay. But we expect teens to do it because why? Because we see them as young adults. You're, they're as tall as you, they look at you, they can drive, they can like, come on, get yourself together. Except that their brain doesn't actually fully form the new science. It doesn't fully form until they're 28. In fact, there's new science showing that the 20s is now one of the most important decades because of that. So allowing emotions are not, is not coddling or pandering. In allowing emotions is allowing your teenager to express that emotion. And it's going to be spicy. It's going to be messy. And I 100% allow and condone boundaries, boundaries, people. Allowing an emotion does not mean your teenager can call you names, rip a strip off you, hell to the no. Does it mean they can have that feeling? Yes. Does it mean you can say, I love you. I want to hear what you have to say. It sounds like you're very upset right now. You're really angry. Those specific words and phrases, and you need to actually fill in the blank. I'm just, those specific words and phrases have crossed my line of respect. So I'm going to leave for about five minutes and then I'm going to come back because I want to hear what you have to say. That's not emotional abandonment because I'm saying, I love you. I notice you're having a feeling. This feeling feels a little bit disrespectful, uh, the, not the feeling. The feeling is not disrespectful. The way you're communicating it is disrespectful. Now, what you must do most importantly is keep your word. You better be back with their team in four minutes and 59 seconds like you have never been on time before. Not one time in your life. You better do it now. And they're going to be angry. They're going to be angry. Oh, you left. You don't. I love you. I want to hear what you have to say. Your feelings matter to me. Those words and phrases cross my line. Is there another way you can tell me what's going on? Share. What's, I'm happy to listen. That, and then if they do it again, you say, I love you. I, I want to hear your feelings. They matter to me. Those words. If you don't sound like a broken record, you're not saying it enough. <laughs> and this is what is a, a healthy boundary 
that is allowing them this wild, messy, spicy, emotional expression. And you are saying, I love your emotions. I love you. All emotions are human. That particular expression doesn't feel right for me. So I'm just going to take myself over here because that's my boundary. And I love myself too. And then I'm going to come back. And I am telling you, if you are willing to lean into that one tool and be consistent, I have this in my free uh, 10-day listening challenge, these scripts and, and the videos, your teenager will start actually communicating with you more and more. And they're going to do it in a less escalated way because they know you care and you will listen. So long, and, and they also know when they cross the line, you're going to leave and they're going to get less angry. And then when you make, when you come back, they're going to keep trusting that you're going to come back. So they're not alone in their feelings. See, you and I developed a lot of these issues because we were alone in our really challenging feelings because they were not okay. And that can be some of the source of some big mental health challenges. I That's a big answer, but I hope it answers. I got it's a big answer, but I think it gives, it gives people, first of all, like we're not going to say something to our kids that is going to be effective 100% of the time nope. on the first try. And yeah. I think that's important. Uh, and I want to dissect that in a second. But but the other thing you're saying is, no, it doesn't mean you can tear apart the house. It doesn't nope. mean that you can be mean to your brother or sister. It doesn't nope. mean that you can be disrespectful in your language to others. What you're saying is, like, I understand that you have the feeling and that's okay. I love feelings you. are okay. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then by allowing the time, you're also giving them the knowledge that like you have the feeling and it will pass. Right. And that I feel like is really important. You know, we, we, we know that a tantrum with a toddler is going to end, yep. but sometimes life with teenagers feels like it's going for a lot longer. Yes. But yeah. allowing that time for both parties to like step away, I think that's great. So the next question I have is, you know, there are a lot of parents who are trying all of the things. Yes. And they're listening to the advice and feel like it's not working. It's just mm -hmm. not working with their teen. Is that because we're not recognizing that we need to keep doing it, that we need to sound like a broken record? Or what is what is driving that? When parents are trying and you still find that it's not working, there's still a disconnect, what is causing that disconnect? Yeah, I, I think you alluded to it there. It's essentially like you're going to a buffet, okay? Because what you're getting from information, different experts, authorities, whatever, on social media or books or podcasts, is you're getting snippets of this and that, okay? So it's like a buffet. You're having a few bites of everything, right? The problem for your teenager is that because you're getting snippets of something and then trying them because you are loving and courageous and, and want to be an amazing, you already are an amazing parent, but you want to support your teen. You just don't know how, because we're not taught this stuff. You go to your teen and you spit out the same buffet and it's a couple bites of everything. And so your teenager is like confused because they're like, what? I don't, there's so many things. Wait, you just like tried 50 things on me in one week. I don't even, now I don't know. Now I actually trust you less. And now be careful. When I say trust, again, the, the teenage brain is highly emotionally reactive. They live in their emotion center. When you are constantly changing channels or 
at the buffet, that is a breach of trust because they don't know that you're now, you're not the anchor so they can be the kite anymore. You became the kite too. And they're like, ah, what is happening? So you get less of the results that you were hoping for, even if the tools you chose were what were great, amazing, science-backed, research-based, great. So what I do in my programs, especially uh, my five-day challenge, is I only introduce five tools. Super simple, word for word, and some of them are in my, my free listening challenge. Please stop going to the buffet because that will get you nowhere. Consistency with a teenager is the name of the game. Remember when they were two and you had to keep doing the same thing over and over so that they learned and they knew you meant it, but you weren't doing the hundred things. You were doing like three, you could probably point out if I asked you, you could probably say, yeah, you know what? The top four things I did when they were a toddler that really, they were hard. I had to keep doing them, but really got them were these. Well, it's no different when they're a teen. And every relationship is different. Every parent is different and every teen is different. So is it the same five tools for everyone? No, but I can, I, I can give you the top five science-based tools that work in, in relationship. And so trying everything based on your gorgeous intention to want to change by listening and reading and doing all the things creates inconsistency, which undermines your effort. And that breaks my heart. I want everybody to sit with that for a second. I cannot be the only person who totally understands what you just said because <laughs> <laughs> you're saying it because it's happened more than once to people you work with. I, I think that's really important. And like parenting a teenager is a lot like a marriage in a way. Yeah. Here's what I mean by that. Like my husband and I have been married for almost 20 years. The way we fought in our early years is way different than today. Yes. And it was more emotional in the beginning because A, we were younger, but B, because we were still like figuring out who we yes. were and how to fight, as weird as that sounds, right? But but today, like we know what each other's hot buttons are. We know like how we we know the how we get through it together. And so even when we can be mad at each other, we just do it in a better way. I don't know how else to say it. But but when you don't have that level of expectation and the understanding that, you know, you're mad at each other right now because of something, you're going to listen to each other and then you're going to get over it. That's much easier to fight through, right? You it doesn't mean that you necessarily agree, but but you know how it's going to go and you can feel safety in that. And what you're saying is our kids need the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're the adult. The problem is you were ripped off. You've been sold a lie. You are not failing. Your teen is not broken. The model you were sold is broken. And it's been disproven for decades and we are working hard, but because everyone goes back to it because it feels safe. It makes sense. Behavior, 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 behavior. But we also have so much science that shows that that's not connection. That is not a relationship. That is a transaction. Just like going in a store, you take an item from a store, you're expected to pay. That's a transaction. Transformational relationships connect at an emotional level to understand that all behavior is driven by emotion. So you understand and learn the specific, not a hundred specific tools to connect before you correct. 
And when you connect and allow the emotion in a safe container to understand the emotion that drove the behavior, because if you don't understand the emotion that drove the behavior, what's the point of disciplining or consequencing the behavior? Like that's, that's like, that's like only having a, a, a hammer as your only tool and you're smashing holes in the walls when it just needed like a little touch up paint, like ease up. Whoa, whoa, Sheriff. So it's not you as a parent. I can't say that enough. It's the hard reality that parenting a teen requires more emotional awareness than you were probably given as a child. And this is why parenting teens is so hard because you are probably going to need to reparent yourself to be comfortable with the whole humanity of emotions so that you can also be the best parent for them. And it's not an easy ride and it is doable and you don't have to do it alone. Yeah, I think there's got to be some parents out there right now who are like, I know I was not given the tools to mm -hmm. to feel the full range of emotions and right. they want to do the work. Can they start with the tools in parenting their teen while working on themselves? Or do they, you know, like what comes first? Because we only have so many years with these kids. We want to get it right, but... I mean, the type of work you're talking about internally, I think takes a long time as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's like that your teen shows up and it's like someone shoves a fire hose in your mouth and then like opens <laughs> the hydrant at full. Um, yeah. And that, and, and so is it linear and, and tidy? No, I'm sorry. It's not. It, it's a, it is a duality that is hard. It is messy. And that is why there's support. So in my program, that's the one of the module one is dealing with generational beliefs that because you have to know how you have arrived at the parenting to understand why the parenting is the way it is. And somehow why you sometimes why you are the but not from a judgment or blame place. There's zero judgment or blame. So it's a duality. And it's like, it's like, look, you've never been a parent of a teen before. So stop accepting, expecting yourself to be perfect. And your teenager has never been a teen, never ever did they understand they were going from like a VW uh, wagon to a Ferrari. No one told them that and no one gave them driving lessons, but there they are. They're they've never been a teen before either. So if you can give yourself a little bit of grace, because this perfectionism about how it's all supposed to look like all the social media and the movie and be the puzzle family that posts on Instagram and oh my gosh, stop it already. Stop it. Half of the struggle of parenting a teen is the expectation you have of yourself and them that's making it hard. So yeah. stop. It's, it's hard. Now, great. If you have one of those amazing self-driven teens that like you don't have to do, say it, wonderful. I hate to tell you that also doesn't make you an amazing parent. That is their personality style they have been gifted with. Also good for you. Because your second one or maybe your first one might be wildly different. It doesn't mean that the teen is broken, that you're to, it means that they have a different personality style. And so that's why this stuff is so important to dive into now, today, to start to relearn, reparent, so you can parent. It, it's a, it's definitely a duality. Yeah. Yeah. I think you said something too, uh, you know, perfectionism, we know in girls in middle school and beyond is a really big deal and it's happening yeah. younger and younger. It is. Um, boys have it as well, but for our girls, it's, it's just, it can be paralyzing. Yeah. And 
you kind of highlighted the fact that our expectations, that our behavior drives their behavior and theirs has to be perfect. Otherwise we're not good parents. Right. A lot of us don't realize that we have perfectionistic tendencies ourselves, especially in parenting. Like we, we do it under the guise, I feel like of we just want what's best for them. We just want them to have ever, every opportunity. We want them yes, to grow into a great person. But but the pressure that we put on them is really pressure that we're putting on ourselves. Correct. Yeah. Manifested through them. Yeah. There's this weird existentialism that says that parenting is conflated with morality. And so we literally live on edge of fear that because parent shaming is also an Olympics right now. I don't know if you've um, seen any of that on social media. Yep. So because parenting is being conflated with morality, which is bananas, um, if you are seen as having a, quote, bad apple or bad child or the problem child, um, you're going to have somebody to answer to. And it might be immediately your parents. It might be your siblings. It might be your friends. I raise an autistic ADHD child. Do you want to know how many times I had calls from, I'm going to say people within my family about how I was doing it wrong. I'm like, have you ever raised an autistic child? Have have you ever raised? Also, I had undiagnosed ADHD at the time. I have ADHD, which makes so much sense in my whole life. And so we, if we could just for one hot second, because perfectionism is based in shame. Perfectionism breeds with shame. So the more we're afraid of failing, we, pro- we, we project a message to our teens. It's, a, it's really bad to fail. That's shameful. Don't fail. Yeah, the problem with that is science can again show that you have to fail to learn. How do you think they learn to walk? Did your child just stand up one day and be like, look, mommy, I can walk? No, they didn't. They fell about how many? Mm, I'm going to guess a thousand times. And did you go to them and say, you are embarrassing. You are so embarrassing. I cannot believe you cannot walk. You will sit the whole time and you are just not going to be a walker because I will not raise a child who cannot walk. Did you do that? So why are you doing that with them as a team? Why are you doing that to yourself and to them? Because that breeds more shame, which comes from perfection and the fear of failing you must please all the time, which also, by the way, is based in that half human thing, is that we had to be pleasing all the time. So it's generational. Yeah. Uh, y- yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because you're right. It's like we we don't do that with our teens. And it, I know it's really a rhetorical question. Why don't we Why don't we treat our teens the same way we do our toddlers? But I think that's because we're not hearing from enough people like you who are kind of opening up and and showing us that the teen years are not adulthood that they are another toddler another development stage. yeah yes yeah. in the the minute you you hear that you know mistakes and misbehaviors and transgressions and all of this in um, big emotions are supposed to happen yeah it changes everything yes because we really think if we parented our kids right for the first, I don't know, 10, 14, whatever years, then they'll be good by the yeah. time they're teenagers. They, yeah, they'll we, be good. Like we did all the hard work. We do the, ha- we do the like washing our hands, but like, I'm good. Peace out. Well, yeah. actually, no. Um, you, the first part was really physically exhausting, like physically, mentally. It was like, they didn't sleep well. They needed to like, 
you know, the teen years are emotionally exhausting. And that's why it's so important to raise yourself and give yourself that gift while you're raising them. Thank you so much, Allie. This has been really enlightening. And I think it's it's given people the understanding of how to how to look at boundaries while still being respectful of emotions. Yes. And if we have folks who want to learn more about your program or the challenge that you mentioned, where can we find you online? Um, best place to find those is my website, AllyPain.com. It's A-L-Y-P-A-I-N. There's a big banner at the top. I have a free masterclass that explains all of the kind of things I'm talking about. And if you, you go to the menu, look under resources, the 10 day challenge is there. That's free. And then on social media, I'm at Allie Payne on TikTok and Instagram, A-L-Y-P-A-I-N. Awesome. Thank you so much, Allie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Raising Middle School Girls podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more conversations with experts designed to help you support your middle school girl, please hit subscribe. You can also sign up for the newsletter at the link in the show notes to receive emails about tips and resources, upcoming events, and new podcast episodes, all designed to support you and your child.